motorcycle outside my window. I could indeed hear the faint sound of an asshole on a motorcycle outside your window, but I it, it was one of those things where I also, because you brought it up, I was like, it's it's a weird enough sound that I was like, is that her stomach growling? Or is that No, that'll, that'll happen that'll happen later in the episode. I don't know about that. <laughs> it may not happen in this one, that's for sure. Yeah. Um will you lose your your appetite? Time will tell. Oh no. Yeah. Um speaking of we are crime culture. That's Hi. that's that's us. That that's Haley right there. Yep. The one who's about to lose her appetite. The one who is causing the loss of appetite is me, Caitlin. Um, how you doing? I'm good, but I'm scared now. I no! didn't know what we were talking about, and now I'm now I'm not excited. Well, then consider that payback for the other night. Haley sent me a um a news bulletin about a true crime podcaster who got a stalker actually, and was killed. I actually in their don't home. know if she was a true crime podcaster. I did. It, I don't think the article oh. ever re- really said what podcast she hosted but there was an article recently that a podcast host was uh uh her and her husband too cool projection by the stalker. uh it was yeah me projecting yeah i was like i don't need another fear but yeah that's fine um i've got one doesn't really matter um but yeah so we are on this is this is payback for that okay we are going to be actually covering a listener request from amy hi amy hi on a case that really uh, for lack of a better word it rattled the state of georgia um yes this was one that it's it's recent relatively comparatively speaking to like you know the the entire history of the establishment of georgia but um it's a it's a you if you've seen i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna go there but you may have heard of it okay but it is let's let's start start at the very beginning yes ma'am yes ma'am i love getting to know you and getting to know all about you getting to like you getting to hope you like me she's just she's ready for me to start okay so we're talking about the case of michelle cartagena and grant hendrickson and Michelle Lee Cartagena was born on May 2nd, 1975 in Monterey, California to Luis and Chris S. Cartagena. But after moving around a lot over the years because of her father's service as a lieutenant colonel in the army, the family eventually settled down after Luis retired at Fort Benning near Columbus, Georgia. There, Cartagena attended Spencer High School where she played the number one sing- where she played as the number one singles tennis player. Um, she was captain of their softball team in 1992. She lettered in volleyball and track. She was a member of the National Honor Society and marching band and key club and beta club and science honor society. That's making me overwhelmed and I've been out of high school for over a decade. <laughs> yeah. It should come as no surprise to you that she went on to be her class's valedictorian. Then. Yeah, no shit. You uh-huh. don't do all that stuff and then be like, actually, she wasn't very good at anything. But wait, there's more. In her spare time, she was a volunteer Did with she the have Red any? Cross. <laughs> oh, well, you'd be surprised. She was a volunteer with the Red Cross and the Humane Society, and she would visit the elderly. 
All right. So yeah, did I she's mention perfect. she's also gorgeous? Yeah, she's yeah. perfect. We get it. Okay. <laughs> she's beautiful. It's just yeah, she's and like unfortunately, a perfect unfortunately, her smile lit up a room, and I know that this did. is not going to end well. Yup. Yup. Yeah. Uh, so she, upon graduating, was offered ac- academic sco- scholarships. I can't speak today. Academic scholarships to Emory and Mercer universities, the latter of which also offered her a tennis scholarship. So she went on to study liberal arts with plans to major in physical therapy at Mercer, which was located about 100 miles or for our international listeners, 160 kilometers east of her hometown in Macon, Georgia. Mm. Her father, Louise, later wrote, quote, the many personal characteristics of Michelle tell a gifted and talented young lady full of love and life with the aspirations of pursuing a medical career to help others and to make a contribution to society, end quote. Mm. And while enrolled at Mercer, she was a member of the Alpha Delta Pi sorority, the tennis team. And it's also where she met her boyfriend, Patrick Grant Hendrickson, who went by his middle name, Grant. And he was born on September 20th, 1972 in Macon, Georgia to Patrick M. and Mary Hendrickson. And as a lifelong um, resident of Macon, he, like Cartagena, was an only child and actually known as Gentle Ben to his youth league soccer coach. He played basketball or he played baseball. He enjoyed fishing, hunting, golf, water and snow skiing, camping, canoeing, hiking, He also played bass in a band. He was an active member of the Highland Hills Baptist Church, participating in youth ministry, church league softball, and also running their sound system. Mm. He also graduated with honors from a private Christian school in Macon called Tattnall Square Academy, where he helped put together a special video yearbook during his senior year. And he went on to get an academic scholarship to Mercer, where he majored in electrical engineering and physics and was named to the dean's list for several quarters. He was also a member of the cheerleading squad, served on the Student Government Association, and was a member of Pi Kappa Phi fraternity, for which he served as pledge class president. And like Cartagena, he was insanely hot, volunteered in the community, particularly at the Museum of Art and Sciences, where he had volunteered since he was 15 and earned the nickname Mr. Dinosaur because of his heavy involvement in the museum's dinosaur exhibit, and volunteered as a sound guy for local theater productions at the Macon Little Theater, where he also served on the board of directors. He sounds like they sound and like the also, absolute perfect match. He's not. We're not even done. He also served in a co-op program with like as a student at mercer that would have led to a guaranteed job after a graduate after graduating that's crazy they sound like an insane power couple they're a literal power couple um those who knew them actually speculated that they were drawn to each other by their active lifestyles like no fucking shit i don't see how i don't see how either of them had the time to even like talk to each other with all the fucking extracurriculars they were doing that's crazy Girl, I don't know, but let me tell you, like they I've I've never in my life like seeing pictures of them, seeing like hearing about like what they did in their in their spoiler alert, like short times on this earth. Mm. I was like, holy shit, like anytime that your parent told you, Oh well, sweetie, nobody's perfect. It's okay that you don't have it all. Nobody has it all. Except for these I, br- two. I give you exhibits A and B. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they were for all intents and purposes, like not even looking at it through a like 
smile that lit up a, a room true crime lens. They were perfect human beings. Yeah. So after spending a few days with Cartagena's family in Columbus for the holiday season, the two returned to Macon before classes resumed in around like January, early January 1995. And by this time, 19-year-old Cartagena, who was a sophomore, and 22-year-old Hendrickson, who was starting his final semester of college, he was a senior, they had been dating for close to a year. And those who knew them friends um said that they had even talked about getting married like they were Mm. pretty serious yeah so on january 2nd 1985 they did what most couples did and went to get dinner and see a movie specifically the movie iq at rivergate cinema in north macon in cartagena's white honda accord which had been a christmas present from her parents just a few weeks prior Mm. um and for those who don't know the movie IQ, because I, I don't know su- it. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised to say that I didn't know it, but it seems it it, it it's it's not that I didn't know it. You definitely have seen at least a trailer for this movie, because it's got Tim Robbins, the former Mr. Susan Sarandon, Meg Ryan needs no introduction, and then Walter Matthau, okay, as Albert Einstein, hmm. and it's this rom com where this like blue collar mechanic played by Tim Robbins is in love with the niece of Albert Einstein, who she she also happens to be a mathematician and Einstein and Tim Robbins, friends help him like get the girl. All right. It's a rom-com. It's currently on Paramount plus. If anybody is interested Perfect movie for date night for a genius couple basically basically i was like (laughs) of course they went to go see this fucking rom-com and i bet they liked it like and i don't mean that in a critical way i'm like they're they lead charmed lives like very clearly um like you don't even but i once i looked up the movie i was like oh my god i have seen this movie (laughs) like i i know i haven't seen it but like you know what i mean i i'm familiar with it but and if you haven't seen it you can watch it for free on pluto tv right now Perfect. Um, you can also rent it from like a bunch of places, but you can definitely watch it for free. And it has a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, a 76% Google score, and a 43% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 40% or 47% audience score with over 25,000 ratings. Um, because this is a movie that came out close to 30 years ago. And yeah, it's just... It exists. It's a movie that's there and it's what they went to go see. Um, But they drove to the movie theater and while they were on their way, a railroad worker named John Ambrose happened to see them and it stuck out in his mind because Cartagena's car had been in the right lane while he was next to them. Mm -hmm. And suddenly a blue 1980s model Honda, Honda CRX, which was driven by a man who Ambrose believed to be a light-skinned black male who had a female passenger swerved in front of them and started slowing down in front of Cartagena's car. And as a result, she had to slow down too. So Mm. this driver's kind of given her shit. And when John exited the interstate, he lost sight of the two cars, didn't see them again. And so the couple made it to the movie theater at around 9 p.m. And after the movie ended at around 11.15 p.m., they went to a scenic overlook known as The Point, 
which was a small peninsula known to be something of a lover's lane that juts they were into... Necking. They were necking. Um, but it juts into nearby Lake Juliet in Juliet, Georgia, which is about 22 miles or about 35 kilometers northwest of Macon. Okay. And coincidentally, John Ambrose happened to also be driving near that area. He, too, was necking, I suppose. All right. Um, but he was driving near there when he noticed Cartagena and Grant again, as well as the blue 1980s Honda CRX that had been driving erratically in front of them earlier in the day. In fact, the Honda CRX was the first thing he noticed as it was sitting by the road with its parking lights on while Cartagena's car was heading down the road towards the parking lot at the scenic overlook. Okay. So in the early hours of January 3rd, 1995, a perpetrator pulled up to Cartagena's car and fired 14 gunshots from a Colt AR-15 semi-automatic rifle into the driver's side. Bullets struck Henderson Hendrickson, who was in the driver's seat, in his hip and his left shoulder. Ooh. And then one bullet hit Cartagena, who was in the passenger seat, in the back of the head. And according to officials, although Hendrickson was dying from the bullet that tore through his shoulder and into his chest, the gunman then leaned into the car from the passenger side and fired five more shots from a nine millimeter Ruger pistol, Jeez. hitting Hendrickson twice in the top of the head. In addition, Cartagena's body had been pulled from the car and dragged about 20 to 40 feet away from it. My sources differed. Yeah. And investigators found her partially undressed with some saliva mixed with tobacco on her leg near her genitalia. Oof. Tommy Floyd, the district attorney for Monroe County, Georgia, later said during the trial that the gunman, quote, executed him with that nine millimeter pistol, end quote, as far as Hendrickson, and that Cartagena was probably alive when she was dragged from the vehicle. That crime scene sounds a lot like the Texarkana it does. Uh, crime scenes that we talked about way in the yes. beginning of the podcast, episode like five or six or something. Yes. That's wow. what it made me think of, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as it turned out, kind of unlike Texarkana, uh, there were several people parking or camping around Lake Juliet at the time. They heard the gunshots. They did nothing to investigate. And wow. the bodies just were left to be discovered until the morning when a man who had been camping nearby and had spotted headlights the night before saw the car after the sun had risen. So he went over to check it out. He found Hendrickson's body slumped on the front seat and Cartagena's on the ground nearby and called the police. Two other eyewitnesses, a teenage couple who had parked at the lake, also said that they had spotted a blue 1980s model Honda CRX pulling into the parking lot at around 12.30 a.m. Just seconds later, they heard the gunshots nearby, at which point they saw the car, the Honda, speed away from the parking lot soon after. Mm -hmm. And through these interviews with these people and other people who were close enough to hear the gunshots, Monroe County Sheriff John Kerry Biddick said investigators were able to determine that the shootings occurred at about 12.30 a.m. on the morning of the 3rd, saying, quote, people heard the shots. They said the shots woke them up, but nobody called the authorities, end quote. I understand not wanting to get in the middle of it and go out and investigate. Obviously, you hear gunshots. I'm like, I'm not trying to, like, get in the middle of that. But you call somebody. You do something. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, I wouldn't even recommend 
going out there and do and and investigating yourself sure no, like you don't no. know we don't know what might be happening yeah but do something like that yeah. made me also think of like the kitty genovese case yeah where like people were around they heard it there's no mistaking it yeah exactly like and they did nothing and they these two uh, as i said earlier wonderfully perfect people spent their final moments in pain alone yeah because nobody cared enough to do anything it was spent most of their lives helping other people yes and nobody bothered to even help them yeah so in piecing together information from witness statements investigators were able to establish a detailed description of the car believed to belong to the murderer describing it as a 1985 to 1987 blue over gray honda crx with a spoiler which is like a little thingy on the the um top yeah of the trunk kind of i had a car that had one it's it's for looks only yes (laughs) yes um it, and wide tires with five-point star rims, tinted windows, and white windshield wiper blades. That's a pretty witnesses, intense description of that car. Like, that's, Well, it's funny you say that. Yeah. Because witnesses even noticed an Albany Warriors sports team sticker in the rear window and identified the license plate as possibly being from Doherty County in Georgia. Like, that it was that specific. Tell the county? Yeah. Yeah, that they could tell the county. So furthermore, police recovered .223 excuse me, caliber and 9mm bullets and shell casings from the crime scene. And the state crime lab confirmed that the weapons used in the murders were an AR-15 rifle and a 9mm handgun. And were also able to extract DNA from the dried tobacco spit on Cartagena's leg. Almost immediately, investigators began looking for suspects who chewed tobacco matched the dna taken from the saliva and owned or had access to a honda crx an ar-15 and a nine millimeter pistol yeah at first the evidence appeared to point to the honda crx being the killer's vehicle but then a new witness stephen boyd comes forward and he said that he had been in the parking lot of the movie theater on the night of january 2nd and that he saw a young man arguing with cartagena and hendrickson the man appeared to have been drinking and he was a violent drunk and he was also with another guy and the two men fought with Cartagena and Hendrickson and then got into a white pickup truck and left. Hmm. And after investigators had Boyd look at a photo lineup, he identified the man as being a friend of Cartagena's who also happened to have a crush on her. Hmm. So... The man who had the crush denied any involvement in the case. He gave investigators an alibi, the whole nine, but police had not confirmed it. And he was still considered a person of interest, even though the he didn't drive a Honda CRX and that driver remained, of course, the prime suspect. Yeah. But as leads became fewer and authorities found themselves unable to make a connection between this guy and the CRX scene at the murder scene, the case eventually went cold. And after a year, the number of investigators on the case dwindled down to two. Hmm. For nearly two years, authorities checked the records of every major pawn shop and I can't speak pawn shop and gun dealer within 150 miles of Macon. They interviewed every single person who had sold or pawned a Colt AR-15 or a 9mm pistol. Like, any 9mm pistol. They didn't know what kind it was. 
Dozens of suspects were investigated and subsequently excluded after they submitted either blood or saliva samples to the crime lab or allowed their weapons to be examined by a state firearms expert, what have you. And at some point, not everything matched up. So they were sent on their way. Yeah. Finally, after following up on over 2,000 leads in the fall of 1996, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, a.k.a. GBI, Agent Randy Upton obtained a list of 108 people who bought AR-15 rifles from 1985 to 1995 from one of Macon's most popular gun stores. So Agent Upton started calling them, going through the whole song and dance again, asking for saliva samples, allowing people, asking if they would allow them to examine rifles and so on. And then investigators found an AR-15 that had been pawned in Macon and had changed hands three times by the time they recovered the gun in Twiggs County. Mm. After testing the rifle in the state crime lab in Macon, it was confirmed that officials had finally found one of the murder weapons. And it was also determined that the original owner who first owned the rifle was a 22-year-old man named Andrew Allen, also known as Andy Cook, who had pawned it right back to the gun store in May 1995 five months after the murders. Mm. Okay. So on November 27th, 1996, Agent Upton called Andy to interview him, explaining that he was conducting an investigation into the Lake Juliet murders and that he was contacting Andy because he had owned an AR-15 rifle in, between 1994 and 1995. And I'd like, think about it. Like, this is just, he's been doing this over and over and over. That's all this gbi agent has been doing is just hi i'm here to call about a rifle that you owned and blah 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 like think about that yeah day in and day out for nearly two years yeah so this this was just like a regular tuesday for him so to speak and obviously like he's not thinking he's gonna hit any big jackpot here because he hasn't with the other like like i said over two thousand leads at this point yeah um but then andy started acting really weird and he replied that he had quote gotten rid of end quote his ar-15 in april 1994 Mm -hmm. but when agent upton pointed out that that was not possible because the records showed that Andy had not even purchased the AR-15 until August 1994. Mm-hmm. Andy quickly got defensive and stated that his father, John Cook, was an FBI agent and he didn't have to cooperate with the interview. What a little shit. Yup. So then Agent Upton was like, whatever, dude, and asked for a saliva sample. But once again, Andy stated that he would not cooperate further without his father. And the conversation ended. Also, just because someone in your family is an important person doesn't mean you're an important person. No. And but like also it's just it's giving such big Draco Malfoy energy. Like my father is an FBI agent. and He's going to hear about this. this. My father will hear about this. It's big draco malfoy energy like i'm just yeah. like what a little whiny little turd like yeah, if you have to call upon like anybody else for your uh to like vouch for you like come on dude. not even vouch for you though that he was just like daddy yeah, daddy take care of this for me he's Make accusing this go away. me like like fuck off no. get the fuck out of here so 
at this point, investigators decide to like, and I'm I'm not so sure because speaking as somebody who is all about the petty, I would not be surprised if they were like, you know what, like fuck this kid. We're going to look into him just because he's being a shit, not necessarily because we think he did it. Whether they were suspicious of him or whether they were like, just like, fuck this kid. We're going to make him miserable. Yeah. I don't know. But either way, it got them to look into him. And it's a good thing that they started taking a closer look because they discovered that not only did Andy just so happen to own a blue 1987 Honda CRX. But they also learned that he had an acquaintance purchase a 9mm Ruger handgun for him in 1993, December 1993, at the same gun store because Andy was too young to buy it for himself at the time. Wow. Check, American check. gun laws, everybody. Andy then sold that Ruger to a friend in July 1995, the same year that he also offloaded the AR-15. Yeah. So while the police sought to obtain the weapon from its current owner, Agent Upton went to Andy's home. But after not finding him, he called Andy's father, John, FBI Daddy John. And on that's on December 4th, 1996. And he mm-hmm. was just like, hey, man, can you try to get your son to cooperate here? Like, I'm sure it's nothing. But can you just like, please? Yeah, we just got to finish our investigation. We're just trying to do our job, sir. So as I mentioned earlier, John was an FBI agent. He had been one for 29 years. Mm. So when Agent Upton said that he needed to ask Andy a few questions regarding the Lake Juliet murders and ask John for assistance in locating him, John, who knew about the case from the media but had not worked on it, like I said, this rocked Georgia. Everybody yeah. at some point was talking about this case. Um he was like, yeah, sure. I don't really know where my son is, but I can definitely get into contact with him for you. All right. So he had no reason to think that his son was a suspect. Like, think about it. You don't, You definitely don't think it's your kid. But also, like, when you're an FBI agent, you don't think that the child of an... That sounds like a fucking Netflix series. Yeah. So he had no reason to think that his son was a suspect. He then tried to get in touch with him and simply couldn't he paged him several times his son did not return his page Hmm. finally at 11 p.m andy returned his calls or his pages so to speak and after explaining to his son that the gbi was looking for him regarding the lake juliet murders and asking if he knew anything about them this is how john said the conversation with his son went oh no So John asked, quote, what is all this about, Andy? End quote. To which Andy replied, quote, I can't tell you, Daddy. You're one of them. (laughs) What? You're welcome. You're welcome. I can't tell you, Daddy. You're one of them. Okay. What do you mean, one of them? You're a cop. Andy, I'm your father first. Do you know something about the Lake Juliet murders? Yes, I do. Were you there? Yes, I was. Do you know... Did you see the shooting? Yes. I did. If you had nothing to do with it, then fucking tell somebody. And also, this is like pulling fucking teeth. Yeah. So, although John still thought, like... he, He later said that he thought, quote... Maybe he was just there and saw who shot them, end quote. John then asked, 
straight like straight up quote did you shoot them end quote and after a pause andy replied quote yes i did end quote so you did do it and again like pulling fucking teeth <sighs> like i was lamenting to Haley about how fucking difficult it is trying to administer medication to one of my cats um this that that is easier and I mean, it takes two people to pin down this 12 pound cat and squeeze chicken flavored liquid into his mouth. And yet that is still easier while also we're having to fight off his sister because she thinks that the medication should be for her because it smells like chicken. That is still easier than this. Like this dude had to pull like and I and I guarantee you if it was this difficult for his father, his FBI agent fucking father to get this information out of him i don't i think agent upton would still be interviewing him today yeah probably so anyway moving on andy then told his father that he was fishing at lake juliet when a car pulled up alongside him with a guy and a girl inside he said he then got into an argument with the guy the guy pulled a gun so andy said that he shot the victims in self-defense then he realized that the gun that the guy pulled on him was just a pellet gun. So he threw it into the woods and he fled. Okay. John urged his son to go to the authorities, but Andy said he was going to go on the run and, quote, just disappear, end quote. All right. So then he ends the phone conversation at that. Like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disappear. Bye. Boom. So John is stunned. Obviously, this is not how he thought that conversation was going to no. go. And he was worried that his son was going to try to kill himself. So after speaking with his wife, he called his friend and FBI supervisor, Tom Benson, who was at a conference conference in New Orleans. And he and Benson decided that Benson would fly back to Georgia the next day and the two men would go to the sheriff, Sheriff Biddick, and John would tell the sheriff what his son had told him and they'd move on from there. So the men arrived at Monroe County Sheriff's Office at about 4 p.m. on December 5th, 1996, which leads me to believe also, like, what a good fucking friend of Tom Benson, because that means he must have, like, literally gotten on the first flight. Yeah. And, like, what a good friend. But I would do that for you if your kid killed somebody. I'm just going to put that out there now. Thanks. Um, if, your kid, if your kid killed somebody and or somebody's and confessed it to you and you didn't, I am on that plane. It's okay. My, my perfect um, cat son would never. He would never, he would never, he won't even kill a bug. No, he won't. Um, I, and, I, and I do say won't, not can't, won't, simply won't. will not, cannot be Never bothered. has. Never will. Um, love your perfect angel. I, I bet he also, he's a handsome boy. He volunteers with every community under the sun. Can he is in all can, the clubs. Yeah, can guarantee his smile lights up a room. His smile does light up a room. I have seen it and it lights yep. up me. So there we go. Good. So meanwhile... After the GBI put Andy under surveillance for a week, he was ultimately arrested at about 11.45 a.m. on December 4th, 1996, by a game warden for a hunting violation after shooting deer and turkeys out of season and then giving that warden a false name. If you're going to be on the run, maybe pay attention to every law, like maybe do everything right right but that but also this just it's not a comedy of errors so to speak but this is wild to me so okay he's been under surveillance i don't know whether or not i couldn't find it anywhere whether or not john knew that his son was under surveillance um but that it's like okay this kid is under surveillance 
His dad tries to talk to him. The kid confesses to his dad, hangs up the phone. The dad is like, we're going to go to the sheriff. The kid is like, I'm going to go on the lam. The kid gets arrested. The kid gets caught anyway. Mm -hmm. The dad gets to the sheriff's office, but this kid is not there. Yeah. So the dad did not, John did not know that he got arrested because then Andy was taken to the Jones County Sheriff's Office. At this point, he is not in Monroe County anymore. He's in Jones County. Okay. So following Andy's arrest, his father, John, goes to get at this point, it's 4 p.m. on December 5th, Monroe County Sheriff's Office. John is there with his friend Tom Benson, and he is telling investigators that his son confessed to these murders. But Agent Upton, who did not know about Andy's submission to his father, was already on his way to Jones County because he found out that Andy had been taken there for those game violations. Ah, okay. So it's like he gets there and he tells them, they're like, let's tell Agent Upton. Agent Upton's not there because he's on his way to Andy because Andy's gone and gotten himself arrested for something else. Yeah. So it's just, it's it's so wild this whole like it reminds me of those scenes in scooby-doo where like they go in one door and then the bad guy goes into one door and then they go out completely different doors yeah and it's just it's 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 for lack of a better word it's a comedy of errors so agent upton gets to the police department or the jones county sheriff's office and as soon as he introduced himself and asked to speak with andy about the murders andy allegedly blurted out quote it's been two years since the murders and you guys don't have anything. I had a CRX. I had an AR-15. I had a Ruger P-89. You guys are going to try to frame me, end quote. And if that wasn't enough. Yeah. I wonder if guilt is eating at him. He then added, quote, get my father and get me a lawyer and I'll tell you what you want to hear, end quote. And then the interview was terminated. Yeah. Okay. Out damn spot. Yeah. So... Agent Upton subsequently learned from Sheriff Biddick that John Cook, meanwhile, is at Monroe County saying, hey, my son did it. And that Andy had made this admission to his father the night before. So then Agent Upton is like, well, fuck, transports Andy back to Monroe County. And upon their arrival, his father asks Sheriff Biddick if he can speak with his son. Sheriff Biddick agrees. So... Then Andy and John had this private meeting and both men were crying and John hugged his son and he told Andy that he didn't believe that he told him the whole truth during their phone call. Imagine being an FBI agent and having to interview a suspect who is actually your son. Isn't that like conflict of interest? Aren't you like not supposed to be doing that? Okay. But also this isn't an official interview. This is him just being like, I'm just, I just want to talk to my son. Um, I know, I just feel like I feel I like know. that's still a conflict of interest. I don't even know if like I know, and that's why I'm shushing you. That. Okay. <laughs> so Andy confessed right then and there that there was no pellet gun, that he just picked the couple at random. He randomly decided to kill these two wonderful people. That's crazy. Saying, quote, I pulled in, the car was already there, and I just stopped and shot them, end quote. And to make matters worse, he then dragged Cartagena from the car and spit on her near like near her genitals because he was trying to make it look like it was either a sexual assault or a robbery. I don't know if I believe that fully. That's apparently what it was. That's that's Mm. that he also he also undressed her. 
he said, I, I partially undressed her. I roughed her up to make her look like she had been sexually assaulted so that it could not be tied back to me. All right. They didn't find semen. They only found saliva. Yeah, but I'm not know. saying that I'm not saying that also that you don't want to get sexual tied- assault can't be done with not a penis, but you don't want to get it tied back to you, but you spit on her with your own spit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I'm not saying he's the smartest. His dad's the FBI agent, okay? Yeah. But regardless, so meanwhile, the police have recovered the AR-15 rifle and the 9mm Ruger handgun from the current owners, and the ballistics testing proves that the slugs from Andy's rifle matched those found at the crime scene. Further testing determined that the Ruger handgun was also used in the murders. And finally, DNA testing determined that the tobacco spit found on Cartagena's body was a match. As it turns out, Andy had spit the tobacco juice on her. I just wrote this out twice because I really was wowed by this, that this guy, that it all seemed so calculated and specified and it wasn't, that it was yeah. just at random. Um, but either way, so the state DNA expert later testified that only one in 20,000 Caucasians would exhibit the same DNA profile as Andy. And all of this evidence was enough for him to be indicted in the Superior Court of Monroe County, Georgia, for two counts of malice murder, two counts of felony murder, and one count of armed robbery on February 17, 1997. Mm. But because of the vast amount of pretrial publicity, like I said, this was the biggest case in Georgia for a while. And then now that it looks like it's not going to be cold, that it's going to be solved, it's fucking huge again. Yeah. Um, so because of that, the case was moved to nearby Henry County to be tried. And John Cook testified at his own son's trial. He relayed the details to investigators. And also several of Andy's friends testified that he had confessed to them as well about killing a couple with an AR-15. Wow. Allegedly, um, Andy, um, what do you call it? One of his friends worked with him at a diaper factory, which LOL. But testified that in late November 1996, he and Andy had had a conversation about, quote, the worst thing you ever did, end quote. Never and have that conversation with your friends. Never. But you also don't note, But also note that this is November 1996. So this is, it is before Agent Upton contacted Andy, but it's the same fucking month. Yeah. So... He, they're having this conversation about the worst thing you ever did, and Andy said that he killed someone with an AR-15. So the friend didn't believe Andy, but he was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, why? And why did you do it? And Andy explained that he did it, quote, to see if I could do it and get away with it, end quote. After that, he refused to provide any more details to his friend. The yeah, friend you testified, called the police then. Well, that's the thing. The friend testified that the next day at work, Andy received a call on his pager and left his work area to return the call. When he returned 15 minutes later, he was, quote, as white as a ghost, end quote. And the friend said that Andy told him, quote, I gotta go, end quote, and spit the tobacco he had been chewing into a trash can. Andy then said that it was the GBI who had called him and that they wanted to question him about what he and, a, and the friend had talked about the day before and to test his saliva. He said regarding the saliva, quote, that's a DNA test right there, so they got my ass, end quote. Another friend testified that Andy had told him in late November 1996 that he needed to leave town because it was, quote, getting hot, end quote. Mm. So according to the Macon Telegraph, both Cartagena and Hendrix's parents, Hendrickson's parents um, submitted written statements to be read during the trial. 
um, expressing their anger, resentment, and just sorrow and powerlessness over these events in which their children were stolen from them. Yeah. Um, and and not even necessarily just their children. Like, again, remember, Hendrickson and Cartagena went to Cartagena's parents for Christmas. Yeah. Like, it was serious. They, were, they weren't just losing a child. They were losing a potential child in law. Like... Yeah. And the it, community it, lost, like, two important community members. Yes. Yes. Like, everything they, they were doing. Yes. So, Lewis and Chris Cartagena said that they visited their daughter's grave every day during the 26 months since her murder. Um, actually, if you look her up on Find a Grave, it even says, like, Michelle Cartagena, blah, blah, blah. Like, not blah, 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 but, like, her birth date, her death date. And then underneath it says, our pride and joy. Mm. Um, and Luis wrote, quote, our world revolved around Michelle. We now have no legacy no opportunity to see our young, vibrant, and spirited daughter fulfill her aspirations and dreams. We will have our memories, but each time we see a child, a student graduating from college, a young lady getting married, pursuing a challenging career, raising children, we can only think of how it would have been, end mm. quote. Louise also wrote of the close bond the family of three had, saying, quote, that togetherness remains between Chris and I, but now there is a void. This void will never be replaced, and the result has been a complete change in our daily lives. Numbness and emptiness are the best words to describe our emotions. Not a day goes by when we don't think and talk about Michelle. We don't care what anyone says. Time does not heal. We have lost our only child, and that passion is an emotion that will never go away. Our lives will continue to center around her. Michelle is our pride and joy, and that is not going to change. The loss of Michelle can't be put into words, but suffice to say, Chris and I will never be the same. End quote. Yeah. Wow. Hen yeah. Hendrickson's mother, Mary, called the ordeal, quote, a living nightmare, end quote, saying in her written statement, quote, nothing can describe the impact of hearing Grant has been killed. I had to live with the knowledge that Grant had lain, man had lain slaughtered all night in a very cold, mm. windy, and desolate area from 12.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. the next morning before news of his death even reached the authorities, end quote. Yeah. She continued, quote, to see your child hurt or ache on the inside and not be able to do anything about it was one of the worst things in the world. To learn of your child's death is the very worst. Mm. Still, never until I saw with my own eyes my child lying in a coffin did I accept the fact that he was no longer here, end quote. And it's like, I mean, there's obviously no, no situation that is going to make your heart feel at rest. But just the fact that the guy is like, I did it just to see if I could do it. Yes, that it was completely, again, completely There was random. no reason for this. No reason. No, like, and and even, like, again, just if it had been, if they had gone anywhere else. If, uh, yeah, if I mean, he, you, if, you can't go like, down, you can't start going down that road. That's just. Oh, no, you can't. But I'm sure that, like, because I would. Um, no, like, as parents, I'm sure they've run every single scenario in their heads and they will never be the same. And. Yeah, I we all hope never to feel anything even remotely close to that right. feeling. Right, right. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Like, no. it, it's just 
it's not like damn but so yeah so uh grant's father patrick wrote quote there have been many changes in my life since grant's death i have become a lot more moody i become more angry at situations that in the past i would try to smooth out i am less trusting end quote and though patrick wrote that he reacted to his son's death by withdrawing mary expressed a need to be heard writing quote Right now, I live in an imperfect world full of hate, violence, and evil. I feel that I should speak out for Grant. I do not want my son's death to be for nothing. I am here bearing my heart, hoping that in this world, I may see justice done. End quote. Mm. So on March 19th, 1998, a jury of seven men and five women found Andy guilty of two counts of malice murder and two counts of felony murder beyond a reasonable doubt for the the murder of hendrickson he was given a life sentence but for the murder of cartagena he was given the death penalty Mm. so andy's legal team filed a motion for a new trial on march 23rd 1998 filing to throw out andy's father john's testimony because they said john was acting as an agent of the state during andy's admission like you were asking me before yeah yeah um but that motion was denied by the trial court on July 10th, 1998. Yeah. So on March 19th, 1999, a full year after he was convicted, um, his conviction and sentences were upheld by the Georgia Supreme Court, which summarized the facts of the case as, quote, the evidence adduced at trial shows the following. At approximately midnight on January 2nd, 1995, Mercer University students Hendrickson and Cartagena were parked on a small peninsula known as the Point, which juts into Lake Julia in Monroe County, north of Macon. Andy drove onto the Point, parked his Honda CRX near Hendrickson's and Cartagena's car, and shot them. Andy fired 14 times with an AR-15 from a distance of about 40 feet, and then moved closer and fired five times with a 9mm Ruger handgun. Hendrickson and Cartagena were each hit multiple times and killed. Andy then went to the passenger side of the victim's car, removed Cartagena, and dragged her about 40 feet. He partially undressed her, knelt between her legs, and spit on her. Andy then drove away. The murders were completely random. Andy did not know the victims, and there was no interaction between Andy and the victims before he killed them. End quote. So, yeah. Um, Andy filed a petition for a writ of surit. I know how to pronounce this. It's just hard. <laughs> a writ of certiorari okay. in the United States Supreme Court, which full disclosure, I'm no lawyer, but in like lay people's terms is basically a request for the court to order a lower court to consider a case. Okay. So after that was denied on November 1st, 1989, Andy, who was represented by the Georgia Resource Center, filed a petition for a writ of habeas corpus, which is basically a request that a court order a prison to bring a prisoner to court to determine whether or not their prison, their imprisonment is lawful. Um, Literally, people call it like the show the body. That's what they call like the writ of habeas corpus is just show the body. Okay. Um, So... He filed that he he filed a petition for that writ of habeas corpus in the Superior Court of Butts County, Georgia, on May 9th, two thousand. And then, because the legal system takes a long ass time, yeah. on October second, two thousand seven, the state habeas corpus court entered an order granting Andy state habeas corpus relief as to his death sentence, finding that he received ineffective assistance of trial counsel. Hmm. However, 
the state appealed to the Georgia Supreme Court, which unanimously reversed the habeas corpus court's order and reinstated Andy's death sentence on June 30th, 2008. Still represented by the Georgia Resource Center, Andy then filed a petition for another writ of habeas corpus in the United States District Court for the Middle District of Georgia on January 16, 2009, which was denied on March 18, 2010. The district court denied a motion to alter and amend judgment on June 14, 2010, but the district court granted him a certificate of appealability on August 26, 2010. So the case was orally argued before the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals on November 21st, 2011. But on April 20th, 2012, the 11th Circuit issued an opinion that denied Andy relief from his um, sentence, his death sentence. So he then filed a petition for a panel rehearing that was denied on June 21st, 2012. Then he filed another petition for a writ of certiorari in the United States Supreme Court, which was denied on January 22nd, 2013. And according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Andy's lawyers submitted another appeal to the Georgia Supreme Court, asking the, the justices to spare their client the death penalty in favor of life without the possibility of parole on the basis that he had changed and was repentant. After the Georgia Supreme Court rejected this appeal, his lawyers filed with the U.S. Supreme Court, which began reviewing the plea at around 6 p.m., an hour prior to his scheduled execution. Wow. Yeah. So attorneys informed the media around 10.35 p.m. that the Supreme Court had denied a stay of execution, meaning they were like, no, like, he still is going to be executed. Yeah. Ultimately, Andy was the first inmate of his prison to be executed since the state changed its execution procedure in July 2012 from a three-drug combination to a single dose of the sedative phenobarbital, or no, pentobarbital, excuse me. Um, And on February 22nd, 2013, over 18 years after he murdered Michelle Cartagena and Grant Hendrickson, 38-year-old Andy Cook was killed by lethal injection at 11.22 p.m. at the Georgia Diagnostic and Classification Prison near Jackson. According to the Associated Press, for his last meal, Andy requested steak, a baked potato, potato wedges, different Mm. kinds of potato. Okay. Mashed potatoes, fries. Yes, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, fried shrimp, lemon meringue pie, and soda. As he was strapped to a gurney... His final words were, quote, I'm sorry. I'm not going to ask you to forgive me. I can't even do it myself, end quote. He also thanked his family for, quote, their support for being with me. And I'm sorry I took so much from you all, end quote. Hmm. This case was to get into the pop culture side of things. Oh, actually, I'm not quite going to get in. Yes, real I, quick, will. I will. Real quick. Uh, when was he? When was his execution date? February 22nd, 2013. So this was during all of the hype of last week's episode. Yes. So at at the same time that Kai is like on fucking Jimmy Kimmel. Smash, smash, smash. Yeah. This is also happening. This This is also happening. That was 18 years since. Yeah. That's wild. He is finally getting justice. Um, But so... This case was first mentioned in an eight-minute segment on Season 9, Episode 2 of Unsolved Mysteries, which aired on September 27, 1996. 
It has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. And as I said, it was aired in September 1996. So at this point, the case was still cold. It was actually aired kind of as like a Hail Mary because they were getting nowhere in the case. And unbelievably, because we've talked about how Unsolved Mysteries has been able to help things. Yeah. It didn't help. Um, And people were shocked. But so then an update about how Andy was tied to the murderers but had vanished was then included in season nine, episode 14, which aired on February 14th, 1997. So they filmed it, obviously, before they found him. Yeah. But um, it has a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. And then an additional update was provided on season 14, episode 99, which aired on August 7th, 2009. And you can watch the first two of these three episodes for free on Freebie, Crackle, Pluto TV, and Tubi, as well as on Peacock if you have a subscription. Mm -hmm. But I could not find any watch listings for that last episode. Weird. Um, The case was also featured on season three, episode eight of the Investigation Discovery series Murder Comes to Town, titled looking for a stole to steal which premiered on february 29th 2016 and the episode has a 7.7 out of 10 on imdb and if you don't have an id subscription because today i learned they've got their own subscription service who doesn't these days um but you can still watch it on hulu the roku channel and tubi for free um and finally the case has also been featured on Season one, episode 10 of the true crime docuseries Unusual Suspects, titled Lovers and Liars. Hmm. The episode has a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, and you can watch it on Hulu. And then finally, um, this is, I, I'd consider this pop culture. Um, after Hendrickson was murdered, as I said before, he was very active in his theater community. Um, a new acoustic system was actually purchased for the theater with donations made in his name to honor his volunteer work Aww. with the theater. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. So I I just, I wanted to include that in there. Yeah. That the Macon Little Theaters, if you've ever seen a production at the Macon Little Theater, that sound system is there because of the everlasting impact that Grant Hendrickson had on his community yeah so yeah it is tough yeah but another fucking bummer mm-hmm we're just but that was a really interesting case that was a listener request right that was a listener request from amy yes thanks amy Thank you, Um, Amy. If you want to request an episode from us, we do have them on a master list and we will get to them eventually. This is proof of that. Um, Yes. But we do have stuff uh, in the pipeline scheduled. So um, we're just saying on the discord. Actually, we have a discord. Feel free to message us if you want to join. Yes. Um, We were just saying on the discord that we've booked. We've we've got our schedule. A rough schedule. Yes, but still pretty set through, I think I said through September of next year. Yeah. September 2024. But then we have so like, like, like little things planned ahead. We got to plan ahead up. for this. Yeah. Yes, so, we've um, got to plan ahead for this. But most definitely, it's it's just, 
yeah, if we if we if you if there's a really good suggestion, uh, we might get to it a little bit early if we can. Um, or push. go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. I was gonna say, or if it is a very recent suggestion, it may become one of our so potential topics about. for so you want to know about. Yes. In which case, our Patreon patrons will vote. I believe that is next week's episode. No. It is next week's episode. If you have not voted yet, if you are a patron and you have not voted yet, please do. We need time to be able to get that episode going. We we too need to know about yes. what we're talking about. Um, but uh, anyway, in conjunction with everything we were just talking about, um, you can contact us on any of our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can DM us for our Discord. We will send you the link and you can join. And there we have a whole channel dedicated to uh, listener requests you can request an episode or topic or something that we have um, uh, topics on uh, our pets we talk about arts and crafts we talk about uh, books and movie recommendations just kind of like life stuff um, it is very fun over on the discord so dm us for the link to that and you can join our patreon for as little as a dollar as much as whatever you want this podcast is free for you to listen to but not free for us to make so oh, any no. support is very very helpful but if you don't have the financial means to support us you can do it totally for free by liking and subscribing and commenting um anywhere where you listen to podcasts and that helps us yeah a whole bunch for absolutely free it does not cost you a single thing it takes two minutes to write us a nice little five-star review and not even it's the best you don't even have to write some of them you just gotta like rate yeah but i like i like when we get like nice little comments that's nice i love a little nice comment this is true i like a little nice comment if you got the time if you got the vocab I, yeah i mean i'm not gonna say don't say nice things to us i mean i am a lover of nice things being said yeah but and and actually um, i have some nice things to say is um, it is it the palate cleanser it is my palate cleanser. Yeah, so we don't want to send you home with just a total bummer. So um, no. at the end of each episode, we're going to cleanse your palate with something non-true crime related that is yes. good and happy and fun and nice. Yes. Um, and so my palate cleanser for this week is <laughs> um, get a, if you can, Plex system. And oh. Haley is Haley's about to bop me through the screen right now because Haley has had a Plex system since when? Like 2020? I've had it, yes, yeah, like before the pandemic, I think we we got it. Yeah, it was like shortly before because I was like, oh, damn. They, so basically a Plex system, for lack of a better word, um, is an amalgamation of content. Basically, if you can burn a DVD, if you can do other things that I would never recommend on a podcast about true crime because it is illegal like pirating or torrenting you take albums that you like movies that you like tv shows that you like and you can save them on this system and you can watch your them. own photos like your everything. own photos yeah. it's there's so much and it's your own netflix been, yes with it's your basically own your content. own netflix yeah. with all of your shit on it and so for movies. example if there's that yes or if there's that movie that like you love that nobody ever like michael noticed the other day that um there wasn't that none of the streaming services we have had once upon a time in Hollywood, the movie about the Manson yeah. family murders, um, very loosely based on the Manson family murders. Um, spoiler alert. But 
noticed that it wasn't anywhere on any streaming service. So now that is on our Plex. Yep. And I did so that with uh, like that. Boy Meets World before I, I mm-hmm. before you gave me the uh, Disney Plus uh, <laughs> thing. But, uh, you know, Disney Plus has them in a weird order. And also, I think they um, because it's Disney, they uh, took off two of the controversial episodes. Yes. And I want my whole fucking you want your whole I want my whole Boy Meets World. Yes, uh, well, and, and I emergency added Parks and Rec after yep. it was taken off Netflix because I was like, I need to be able to watch Parks and Rec at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's added to my system. That's exactly. Michael did that with Adventure Time because that's one of their comfort shows. Um, I've got a growing like list of things that I want added. But no, I highly recommend it if you can. It, it's, I'm not going to lie. you got to be a little it, bit of a tech person to like set it up. But yes, there's definitely yes. like online tutorials, like pretty, pretty good online tutorials on like how to do it. And once you have it like set up, it's really easy to add stuff to it. So. Um, or here. They're not here to tell us no. Both of our partners set ours up. So yeah. if you have questions, no, I'm not about to do that. But, um. No, but I do highly recommend it just because it's like it's, for example, one of my comfort movies is Practical Magic. It is to me what Superbad is to Haley. Yeah. And so sometimes they'll just randomly take it off of whatever streaming. Exactly. It's actually really stupid. They took it off HBO Max and then like a month later put it back on. And I was like, fuck that noise. Um, yeah, super bad so on it's like Tubi now, but I have it on my Plex just in case, like it's not on exactly. something. Exactly, and I just That's watched it. I just, well, I wouldn't say I watched it. I had it on the background as I fell asleep uh, after St. Patrick's Day festivities. Um, yeah, but sometimes well, you just need your comfort movie or show. Exactly, and you don't have to like be like, oh man, and you don't have to spend the money to rent it because you own it. Yep. Um, because you're not pirating these things illegally. No, you own uh, them. But you can also go to your like local library and get a DVD and you can burn it. I and, wouldn't like, recommend doing that, but you totally oh, you can. you shouldn't do that? I don't know. I, oh. It's not, it's not, you didn't buy it. I don't it. know. If, <laughs> well, okay. Or that, or like, for I example, totally didn't I have, do that for mine. I have stacks on stacks on stacks because I assumed nobody owned DVDs anymore, but that's what I plan on doing is I've got so many stacks of DVDs and the plan is we're going to burn those to the Plex. I'm going to save the ones that I like desperately do want to keep a physical copy of in case like the robots rise again. That's what I have for mine. I have my stack that I once I burn them onto the Plex, I have to get rid of the DVD because that's and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to donate them to the local library. That's why I was saying, like, give them to like get them from the library. I thought that you could also I don't know if that's illegal. Don't do it. But my my reverse of that is I plan on donating it, donating them to the library because, for example, I'm looking here. I don't need a copy of the King's Speech. Is it a great movie? Yes. Will I live if it's just on the Plex? Yes, I will. Yeah. But yeah, highly recommend. Um, so do that. Do that. Do that. And if you haven't watched The Nanny yet, still watch The Nanny. That's going on the Plex. Yeah. As soon as I can figure out a way to put it on the Plex, that's going on the Plex. It costs a little bit of scratch to get it going, too. You have to get it like, a, like a, a whole, like a little housing system and like a little hard yep. drive thing. But again, like I said, once it's set up and once you have it, you're all good to go. And yes. there's like a free version of like the Plex software. There's also a paid version so you could watch your media wherever you yep. are. Um, yep. And well, I looks- think the lifetime pass is like $90. Or I don't know what we use. All I know is it's called Jellyfish. But 
what it what yours does what ours does is it also like shows for example like the rotten tomatoes scores yeah and yeah the mine does movie that too. poster yeah and all of that or like i don't know if yours does this but i noticed the other day that ours does this it will also show you so let's say like it's five o'clock and you click on a movie it'll it'll tell you what time you will finish that yep. movie yep which is oh it's delightful when it's like, okay, I've got enough time for maybe like two more episodes of a show or a movie before I've got to go to bed. Let's see what we can crank in there. Yeah. It's just, I highly recommend it. I think it's the way of the future. It is. I think that it's going to be the next like step. I've been telling I think you if to getting do rid it of cable years. is cutting the cord. I know. I'm just saying, I think if getting rid of cable is cutting the cord, then this is going to be the cutting the cord of subscription services. I think this is the future. Yeah. And if you seen the need way. any more convincing, if we didn't already convince you enough, if you join our um, Discord, then um, yeah. we you can chat with us more in there about it. Like, we yeah. can give, like, more information. Elliot's but in the Discord. Elliot is in the Discord. He won't ever speak in the Discord, <laughs> but he is in there. Um, yeah. So that is enough of selling the Plex, but... Yeah. I mean, I would say Plex sponsor us, but it's like, like I said, there's so many. It's just, it's like how people call tissues Kleenex, where it's just, there's so many different brands. Yeah. There's so many different kinds. Yeah. But it's just, that's the same deal with like Q-tips. Yep. Don't use Q-tips. That's my other warm fuzzy. I'll never, I'll never, I know, but I'll never not. Oh, I know. But that's all. I need my my daily orgasm. And on that note, I think I'm good. I think we can go. All right. (laughs) Uh, We will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.